Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Great to be here. Welcome, church family. I'd like to welcome you online and also those of you listening on Grace FM. You know, we have a larger family than just what is in here. There, and there are times when you're not able to make it in here, and, and you can go online and catch the service, or you can catch it in your car. But uh, tonight, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 7. We're going to look at the first 12 verses, and we're going to consider the heart of the Father to those around us and the need to see people as he sees them and not see them through all of our uh, particular um, biases and whether they stand up to our measure or not. You know, we just came off a great conference, the Refresh Conference, and the theme of that conference was unity. It's so important, especially in the days that we live in, to understand that we can be, we can be used by the enemy for disunity. We can take things that as simple as our preferences and start using them as the standard by which things are appropriate and right and things that God would approve of and even things that he wouldn't approve of. And in doing so, we have blocked the heart of the Father from flowing through us because we're using our own standards as the rule instead of the law of God which is his love and his truth. And so, kind of tying into uh, the theme of unity from the Refresh Conference, I want to go into Matthew chapter 7, and it's a message that, that I've entitled, Seeing Clearly to Help Others. And tonight I want you to see the first 12 verses of chapter 7 as a whole as one context. I'm going to be breaking down this chapter into two parts, this section here, verses 1 through 12. Verses 1 through 6, I'm going to call seeing clearly to help others. And then verses 7 through 12, sharing the goodness of God. In my last four, five, six months, God has really been renewing and refreshing me with the reality of his goodness. How good he is and what that means. Sometimes I doubt his goodness because I see through my own weakness and my failures. Why should God be good to me when I haven't been good to him? But the Lord has just been reminding me in some tender fellowship with him that he's, he wants to be good to me. He wants to show me his goodness. Of course, you know, his truth and his love and his kindness and all the rest. But there's something about 
that quality of goodness that just seemed to break through to me recently. And it was so encouraging. After 51 years of walking with the Lord, all of a sudden there is this simple concept that he breathes upon and gives life to it. And all of a sudden you just go, God, you are so good. And you're not just singing the chorus, you know, the goodness of God, but it's just, uh, it's hard to explain. It just changes you from the inside. You know, we're living in a day that it's quite challenging not to be divisive because everyone has a very strong opinion on how things should be and what's right and what's not right. And they are willing to cancel out anyone who disagrees with them. You know, masks are of the devil. No, masks are mandatory. And all of a sudden, there's because they're Christians biting and devouring one another over a piece of cloth. God warns us through the Gospel of Matthew in this section to be careful about having a critical spirit because of what can happen with that kind of critical spirit. I mean, you've heard it said, the man that has Limburger cheese stuck in his mustache thinks the whole world stinks. And he's judging from the outside, but the problem is there on his face. But let's read here, follow along. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12, and then we'll start with a word of prayer. Those of you that are driving, just keep driving. Just listen. We'll read through it. Those of you that are at home, get your Bibles out, follow through. Take a pen or pencil out and underline certain things. It's okay to write in your Bible. It's okay in these days to even highlight it. Put a date by it if God speaks to your heart. Chapter 7, verse 1 through 12. Jesus said, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened or what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will he give him a serpent if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him therefore Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Let's start with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word today. 
and we're asking that you would speak to our hearts. We've gathered here to hear from you. Lord, we want to know your heart for us and your heart through us. Lord, open our eyes to see life around us as you see it. And now, Lord, we're asking you to speak to us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The first five verses I've entitled, Blinded by a Critical Spirit. And Jesus is talking to his disciples. Remember that here. Matthew is writing his gospel, and he wants to show his fellow Jewish person how Jesus of Nazareth at Nazareth is indeed the promised Messiah they were looking for. And so he structured his gospel in a particular way to really reach the Jewish mind and the Jewish uh, understanding. And so he begins his gospel in chapter 1 with a genealogy showing Jesus being the son of Abraham, the son of David. And connecting him to the son of David was saying, you know, he is the Messiah. He's the promised Messiah. And then he goes through the birth. You know, John the Baptist is included there. Goes through the baptism of Jesus and the temptation in the wilderness, conquering all three areas of temptation where Adam and Eve failed. And then this whole thing starts here in Galilee, the ministry of Jesus. And in chapter 4, verse 23, John, or, or Matthew writes that Jesus went about teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease amongst the people. And what's really fascinating is over in um, chapter 9, verse 35, Matthew writes almost word for word that very same verse because that forms kind of a section. And so Matthew starts off, he says, I want you to listen to the teaching of the Messiah. And he includes that area called the Sermon on the Mount. And then in chapters 8 and 9, he goes into the healings of Jesus. There are 10 specific healings that he writes here. And, and each of those healings and the, the demon uh, possession that is, um, you know, the demon is exercised uh, from those people shows his power as the Messiah. It's all connected to prove Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. But in the midst of the teaching, as he's talking to his disciples, and there are crowds that are overhearing, but he's focused on his disciples, he says this section in chapter 7. And he begins with a strong exhortation to the disciples and to us, because we're his disciples just as much as they were, to watch out for letting a critical spirit blind you to the needs of others. And the reason I say the needs of others is because Jesus says over in verse 5, first remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He didn't say ignore the brother's problem. He said help him. But you can't help them when you got a log sticking out of your eye. In this section here, Jesus starts off and he says, Judge not that you be not judged. The word judge here in the Greek means to conclude, 
to distinguish, to decide, to pronounce judgment upon. And it appears from the structure of the sentence that there's going to be a repercussion if you're going to live with a critical spirit. There's going to be chastening from the Father coming down upon you. Jesus, in this section, is trying to show the contrast between the outward righteousness of the religious leaders of the day, the scribes and Pharisees, and, the, and that the true righteousness that God is looking for is something from the heart and not just outward appearance. It's so easy to, to fall into a critical spirit because we know what we like and we know what's reasonable and we know what makes us comfortable and anything else kind of bothers us. When you go to different countries, the culture's different. Living outside the United States for a while, you get to see a lot of things from a different perspective. And there are just things that happen in that culture. You go, why on earth would they ever do that? But it's, it's not wrong, it's just different. And you've got to keep that statement on the dash of your car. It's not wrong, it's just different. And you go, well, how did they come up with that? It's not wrong, it's just different. Because if you don't distinguish between that kind of thing, you're going to end up with a critical spirit and be angry at people. And you're going to end up calling them stupid. And you're going to end up saying, you know, what's wrong with these people? And it shuts off your heart as a Christian from sharing the love of God with them. Jesus gave a warning to the disciples over in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 24, verse 12. He said, because lawlessness will abound in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. What's interesting here, he's talking to his disciples, and he says the last days will be days marked by lawlessness. So why are we surprised when we're seeing lawlessness out there today? Because we're living in the last days. Lawlessness. Because lawlessness will abound or multiply exponentially. The love, which is the word agape, which is the kind of love that God gives to his people. The love of many will grow cold. And that word in the Greek means, means to exhale slowly and cool off. There's no longer a passion, no longer a fervency to love others. But you close off because of the, of the iniquity and the injustice and the lawlessness and the things that aren't fair and right. And all of a sudden, you just, you, you, you got, you know, angry eyebrows. You got this scowl on your face as you look at people and you start making conclusions about their destiny. A critical spirit brings division. I have to confess that during my years as pastoring Calvary North Phoenix, there were times that I really looked down my nose at other ministries because they weren't doing things the way that I knew should be done. It's called self-righteousness. 
Sometimes mission organizations fall into the same trap because of the high level of sacrifice that goes on in that mission organization. But then all of a sudden they start using their level of sacrifice to be the standard by which everybody else should meet. And, be, and when they don't meet that standard, then, you know, these, what kind of Christians are these people? They're not willing to lay down their life. And you're using your own standard as a cover for your critical spirit and your arrogance. And that causes division in the body of Christ. Does that make sense? The Lord wants to fill us with his love so that we can be poured out to others. We can't manufacture this love. We're called to be distributors, not manufacturers. And we can only get it from heaven. But that critical spirit blocks the flow of the love of God, just like a big boulder over the top of an artesian well. And I, I have to ask the Lord to open my eyes to see it. And Jesus is saying here, judge not that you be not judged, talking to his disciples. And then he goes on and he says, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And it, it's as in a negative sense, not in a positive sense. And then he asks a couple of questions here in verses 3 and 4. A couple of questions. He says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So here are two questions Jesus asks. Number one, why? And number two, how? Pay attention to that. The first question, why, addresses the unreasonableness of looking to find faults in others. And basically, he's saying, why do you always look to find fault? It's as if you're looking at people thinking the worst first, and then they have to prove that they're worthy of your respect. That, that's not how it's supposed to go. You, can, you un, can you think about if God looked at us that way, thinking the worst first when he saw us? Maybe that's how you grew up in your family. You could never be good enough. Your parents always, no matter how hard you tried, they always put you down. You just couldn't match up to that level. It's, it's as if they always thought the worst first. Or when anything happened in the house, you were the one always blamed it first. And you got punished before they even asked the question if you did it. And so now you can transfer that over to God and you think God thinks the worst first about you, but that's not true. Because the quality of God's love in 1 Corinthians 13 is love believes all things which means believes the best first. The Lord knows what he wants to do in your life. And he knows when you're going to fail and he's not put off by your failure. He perseveres. He chased you down in the first place when you were running from him. 
He doesn't give up. You may have given up on yourself or your spouse may have given up on you, but God is not going to give up on you. He'll chase you down to apprehend you, to block your way and give you faith by which to believe. And when you surrender to the Lord, it's all his work. The second question was how? How can you do this? That makes no sense. It's illogical. It's an impossible attempt when you've got a log hanging out of your own eye. Now, nobody has a log hanging out of their eye. I mean, that's obvious. But our pride and our arrogance can be like a log that blocks our perspective. And we can't help others when we don't understand what they're going through. Kind of reminds me of the one visitor that came into a church and, and then the pastor gets up and he's got a shaved head, you know, he's wearing skinny jeans and, and the, the visitor says, oh great, another one of these hippie pastors, you know. And, but the person next to him says, you know, he just came out of chemotherapy and this is the first time he's been in here and he's lost 40 pounds. And all of a sudden you realize you just judged him based on outward appearance. I remember one time going to a men's retreat in Prescott and um, I was going to be speaking there and I sat at a table and here comes this big biker guy tattooed from head to toe and he sits down next to me and I'm, I'm a bit nervous actually. Um, I'm, I'm not sure where this is going to go. I'm not sure who this guy is. And as we started talking, this guy was the kindest, nicest brother I'd ever met. And I was rebuked by the Holy Spirit just by using an outward uh, standard to, you know, measure up the guy. And, and you know what? It, those are lessons you don't forget. But it's important to realize that how quickly we have standards that we've made God's standard. You know the Pharisees did that? They felt like all of the comments that the rabbis had given over the previous years made more sense than even the scripture. And so they had more application to today. And so they held their traditions and their commentaries to an almost higher value than the scriptures themselves. And we look at them and we think, how could they ever do that? But wait a minute, we can do that. We can take our preferences, our biases, and make them the standard by which a brother is good or a brother is bad or, you know, what's wrong with them? You know, why don't they get into the word? What's, what, you know, and, and we make these judgments. Jesus used two different words for sight here. To look at the speck means to gaze at from a distance. He says, why do you look at the speck, gaze at from a distance, but you don't consider the plank? Consider is a stronger word in the Greek, and it means to, to understand, to perceive, to apprehend the meaning. Our pride blinds us to our condition. 
Whenever I walk around the neighborhood where we live, there's always dogs that are barking. I brought this up in a previous teaching. But um, I've learned to name them because, um, you know, they just are reminders to me. You know, some of them are little chihuahua-type dogs, and some of them are, are like Rottweilers. And, and so, you know, I've named them appropriately, like, like fear and like pride and unbelief and complacency and, you know, and, and so as I go and they bark. And sometimes as you're thinking, they will come up and hit the rocks and hit the fence and, and they just, the, the growl is so deep. You go, well, there's pride right there. And, and, you know, it's just a way for me to understand I've got to watch what goes on in my life because it can, it can cause me to pull back from faith. Why do you look at the speck? A speck is a very small splinter of wood or a piece of chaff. It's been observed that the human eye is the most touch-sensitive organ in the body. When an eyelash gets in your eye, it affects a shutdown of what you're doing until it's removed. But an eyelash on your arm doesn't even raise a nerve warning. It's fascinating how God made us. But But a log... A plank is a ceiling joist. And so, you know, it's a, it's a whole different thing, which totally blocks your vision. Your faults before God, especially a critical and censorious spirit, are always to be understood to be of greater danger to you than another person's faults. And one more thing. Jesus didn't say that the speck was in your enemy's eye. He said it's in your brother's eye. There is a need to help one another. This is enforced by what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. He says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual or led by the Spirit, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And there's the log in the eye. But let each one examine his own work, And then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. When those believers came to me when I was 18 years old and tried to minister the gospel to me, I gave them such a hassle. I I mocked them. I made fun of them. I, I threw this Eastern mysticism at them. I did everything I could to discourage them to the point they didn't think I would ever come to Christ. I was uh, one of the, the dogs that verse 6 talks about. Don't give what's holy to the dogs. But guess what? The Lord kept pressing. And those that you think are just beyond help, just keep sharing. Just keep loving. Don't write them off. Because it's like the harder they resist, the harder they'll fall. 
And you just got to keep praying for them and you got to keep asking God to, to break down whatever that is. There's a blindness over their eyes that, that, that Satan has put them in and that blinder needs to be removed. In verse 6, Jesus said, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now let's keep the context. So far, the context is, don't be walking around with a critical spirit because you're not going to be able to help others. But get that log removed out of your eyes so you'll be able to help your brother who's in a situation. But, verse 6, there will be times when people will not want to hear you and they will be antagonistic toward you. And at that point, you just have to leave it alone. Those d- dogs and hogs, okay? We've been talking about logs, dogs, and hogs so far. These are practical illustrations. Jesus loved to use the situations of life around him. We're not to be of a critical spirit but we are to first of all see all people as created in the image of God and worthy of honor. As 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And the word honor is a unilateral command. You give honor because you honor God. And if God has given you that command to honor, you honor out of honor to God not based upon their honorableness, not based upon the fact that they've uh, been worthy of honor. After all, when Peter wrote this, Nero was king, and Nero was going to crucify him upside down later. Yet there's going to be some who will not choose to receive the help of heaven. So what do you do when you run into dogs and hogs? By the way, he's not talking about Gentiles, even though Gentiles were considered wild dogs in this day and age, as well as swine. But when you look at chapter 8, you see this Roman centurion that had more faith than many in Israel. So he's talking about a mindset and and, um, a heart that is just so resistant because of their own pride and sin. This leads us to the second section, verses 7 through 12, sharing the goodness of God. For many years, I saw verse 7 to verse 12 as just kind of another proverb, another addendum. But there is a context here, I think, that this section fits in. Look at verse 12. Go down to verse 12. It says, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The word therefore connects to all that's been said previous to that. And so we're talking about helping others as you tie it in with verse 5. And then let's consider this, this ask, seek, and knock in the context of how do I help others when they don't want to be helped. Look at it here. Ask and it will be given to you. 
Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Keep in the context. Or what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I believe personally that this asking, seeking, and knocking ties in with the heart to help others. Let me give you another scripture reference that really shows that as well. It's over in the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to put it up on the screen here. Chapter 6, verse 27 to 42 in the New Living. Just listen to how Jesus ministers here as Luke writes it. But if you are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for the happiness of those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give what you have to anyone who asks you for it. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do for others as you would like them to do for you. Consider the context here that he's including these statements. Do you think you deserve credit merely for loving those who love you? Even the sinners do that. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, is that so wonderful? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, what good is that? Even sinners will lend to their own kind for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them, and don't be concerned that they might not repay. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and to those who are wicked. You must be compassionate because your Father is compassionate. Stop judging others, and you will not be judged. Stop criticizing others or it will all come back on you. If you forgive others, you will be forgiven. If you give, you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full measure, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, and running over. Whatever measure you use in giving, large or small, it will be used to measure what is given back to you. Then Jesus gave the following illustration. What good is it for one blind person to lead another? The first one will fall into a ditch and pull the other down also. A student is not greater than the teacher, but the student who works hard will become like the teacher. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye. Hypocrite, first get rid of the log from your own eye, then perhaps you will see well enough to deal with the speck 
in your friend's eye. Going back to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And some of you Bible students know that those words, ask, seek, and knock, are words that are, um, that they are constant. They're spoken in a present imperative tense that means basically ask, asking, seek, seeking, knock, knocking. Keep on until the answer comes. But they also present a progressive intensity as well. Ask with your words, seek with your heart and mind, knock using all your strength and resources, pressing against obstacles that may be in the way. Don't give up. Especially when you're trying to help others and reach them with the hope of the gospel. Don't give up. There is a desperation that occurs when a person's life is hanging in the balance. Some of you have relatives, some of you yourself have, have been told by the doctor you have cancer and you've got, you know, a short term to live. All of a sudden, the, everything takes on a whole different passion. How you see life, how you see your world. This ask, asking, seek, seeking, knock, knocking, keep on until the answer comes. Because Jesus says, everyone, verse 8, who asks, receives. The word everyone means it's not based upon how long you've been a believer in Jesus. It's not based upon your station in life, what your ministry is. It's everyone. Because God wants to show his goodness to everyone. And then he gives an illustration about a man who has a son who is hungry. It says here, what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? That's like insulting and mocking the child's hunger. I mean, who could be that cruel? And then the next illustration, if the son asks for a fish, will it give him a serpent? That's not insulting, that's injuring. Injuring, endangering the child's life. And so Jesus says in verse 7, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. God wants to use you and me to share his goodness, his kindness, his love, his hope with the people that we encounter every single day. You've got neighbors around you, maybe in an apartment complex or maybe in your, in your home and you have neighbors. And two houses down, you, you know, you're really into keeping your, your yard just really pristine. And two houses down, there's weeds growing. It's like they don't care. And you, every time you pass by, what's wrong with those people? You know, why can't they get their act together? What's, yeah, they don't care about anything. And all of a sudden, you've got Limburger cheese stuck in your mustache. Could it be possible that they're sick and they can't get out and work in the yard? 
Is it possible that there is a situation that keeps him from doing that? It's like we've got to realign our thinking. What does the Lord see? How does he see them? God wants to show his goodness to us in every way, in the small ways. But we have to give him an opportunity to show that goodness. So here's the challenge. Starting right now, I mean the evening and the morning were the next day in Genesis 1, so you can start right now. Over the next 24 hours, take that time to say, Lord, open my eyes to the world around me. Help me to see what's going on as you see it. Bring back the the sense of adventure into my life so that everything that I'm encountering is a potential divine appointment with you. Not that you read into anything, but there are those times. You go down to King Super because you've got to pick up some milk. Is it possible that the person behind you who is just buying like a couple of items, why don't you just pay for them? And when they say, well, why are you doing this? Because well, you're, you're saying, well, you know, the Lord has helped me out and Jesus is real and I just wanted to, you know, pass that on to you. You're going, yeah, but they ought to pay for their own stuff. Wait a second. That's, that's not the point. You're trying to use things to, to share the goodness of God with others. In verse 12... Jesus said, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Whatever. Use the whatever. Try to build a bridge with people you encounter. Because I tell you what, we're coming to the last of the last days and there's not much time left. People are so without help And you, as a disciple of Jesus, have that hope. The gospel of Jesus Christ. People try to live by the golden rule. That should get them into heaven. That's not the context. The context is, listen, let the love of God flow through you to touch the lives of other people. God will take care of your needs. But be others-oriented. And finally, listen to the word of Jesus here, Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Notice, you can't give a person rest, but Jesus can give them rest. And he's calling people to come to him so that he can give them rest because they're weary and they're carrying heavy burdens. Jesus said in verse 29, take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. God has called us as believers to bring uh, people to Jesus and he'll take care of them. But you've got to be his arms and his hands to say, let me introduce to you my Lord and Savior because he can meet you in your need. Jesus said, my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you 
is light. When you don't know what to do with people that frustrate you, then you got to stop and ask the Lord, please help me. I don't know where to start. I don't know how to help them. But you want to help them. And I ask God that you put one thing in my heart so I can build a bridge to eventually get the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. God wants us to see clearly to be able to help others. But we've got to get that log out of our eye. And that log is the pride and the arrogance and the self-righteousness that sneaks into our lives. May the Lord help us to, to see that clearly. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this text and reminder today. We're asking, Lord, that you would open our eyes, open our understanding, blow away the clouds and the smoke that gets in the way of seeing clearly. Father God, if there are areas of pride and arrogance that are ruling our thought life, may you show those to us, Lord, because they're, they're divisive. They, they divide the body of Christ. They don't unify at all. And Lord, once you show that to us, just lead us to that, point, that place of repentance and to laying it all down and saying, God, start fresh again in my life. Fill me with your love. Fill me with the Holy Spirit that I might be able to have courage and faith to share the gospel with those around me. And Father, nothing is impossible with you. Start right now. Not later on, but right now. And do what I would think would be impossible. Change me. I'm willing for you to change me. I give this to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.